A little bit of Mindy in my life. A little bit of Mickey by her side. Years before its time, Walt Disney and the talents of a thousand craftsmen bring to the screen all the wonders of Fantasia. The large neck of land jutting out into the water is the site for another exciting resort being planned for the near future based on an exotic Asian theme. We'll help the amigos no matter where he goes. As you enter our soundstage, we ask that you please keep your parties together and please refrain from smoking, eating, drinking, and flash photography. Thank you. W Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this, my friends, is show number 94 for the week of November 23rd, 2008. In news from Walt Disney World this week, we're going to take a look at the Christmas Day Parade taping schedule, new dining offerings in the park, a new way to celebrate your child's birthday, and the new ultimate thrill ride at Walt Disney World. December brings us not just the holiday season and a great time to visit Walt Disney World, but the annual gathering of Disney fans from around the world as part of the annual MouseFest event. This week, I enlist the help of a MouseFest veteran and first-timer in Glenn Whalen and Greg Grimsley to join me to talk about the event, planning for it, tips for getting the most out of the experience, my events, and more. Whether you're attending this year, thinking about joining us in the future, or even if you're not sure exactly what MouseFest is or if it's right for you, I think you're going to find this to be both helpful and fun. From future events to the Walt Disney World of the past, this week I'll once again take you aboard my Wayback Machine to Discovery Island, the tropical island paradise on Bay Lake that for years entertained guests with everything from pirate lore to exotic plants, birds, and animals. Ryan Wilson is my co-pilot this week as we look at its history, numerous storylines, rumors, and possible future. I'll also announce the winner of last week's World Showcase contest and give you another new question for this week's contest, as well as a special Thanksgiving treat before playing some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Starting off this week's Walt Disney World news, many of you have emailed me asking me when the annual Walt Disney World Christmas Day Parade taping is going to be, and as you probably know, it's not going to be on Christmas Day. It appears as though the parade is going to be taped over two days, December 5th and 6th, with performances on one day, primarily in front of Cinderella Castle and the parade down Main Street USA on the other. Now, apparently this year, anybody visiting the park on that day can watch the taping on either or both days, but be advised that unlike a typical daily parade, for example, because this one is taped for later broadcast, it doesn't take place as a single run-through. Instead, it'll often stop, start, reset multiple times over the course of a few hours. But it's very much a unique experience, a chance to see Regis and Kelly somewhat close up, and of course an opportunity for you and your family to be captured by a camera and possibly seen on TV on Christmas Day. Now, 
Over in Disney's Animal Kingdom, it appears as though a new dining package, similar to the Fantasmic Dinner Dining Package over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, is going to be offered, as Animal Kingdom is scheduled to introduce a limited lunch dining package for Finding Nemo the Musical. Starting on December 1st, 2008, guests who make reservations at the Tusker House restaurant between 1 p.m. and 1.40 p.m. are going to be eligible for the reserved seating for the 3.15 showing of Finding Nemo. On obviously the same day as you make your reservation. So after your meal, guests who are participating in the package get a reserved seating ticket and they should arrive over at the theater in the wild by about 2.45 in order to be seated in the reserved area for the people as part of the package. Speaking of meals and food, of course, the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon over in the Magic Kingdom is taking reservations for dinner during Thanksgiving from November 26th through the 29th. Also, all of the resort food courts, that includes Pop Century, all the all-star resorts, Port Orleans, French Quarter, and Riverside, as well as Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort, are going to be serving a special Thanksgiving meal between noon and 9 p.m., and Spoodles, over on the boardwalk, has also announced that they're still taking reservations for a traditional holiday buffet as well. Sticking with food and parties, Goofy's Candy Company, over in the downtown Disney Marketplace, is launching a new birthday party program starting next month, where guests can choose between two different themed parties. One, Goofy's Scientific Birthday Bash, or the Perfectly Princess Party. Both parties are about an hour and a half long. They're priced at $367.38 for parties of up to 12 guests and range up to $442.38 for parties of up to 15 guests. Both of the parties include a themed glow souvenir, choice of your build-your-own-treat, themed autograph picture, party balloons, a goofy glacier build-a-cup for each of the guests, and themed games for everybody to play. The birthday child also gets either a goofy gumball machine or crown, a sash, box glass slipper, depending on the theme, balloons, party invitations, thank you cards, and a whole lot more. The, the parties also provide two party hosts and is going to be held in a private party room over at Goofy's Candy Company. Now, parties are restricted to guests age three and older, and they can be reserved by calling 407-WDW-B-DAY. That's 407-939-2329. I'll also include a link in this week's show notes to the Goofy Candy Company homepage. Stepping outside the Walt Disney World Resort just a little bit, but I think of interest to guests who like to frequent the resort, Walt Disney Parks and Resorts broke ground on its first Hawaiian resort at Ko'olina last week, showing that obviously Disney has no plans to stop moving forward with its latest Disney Vacation Club project. Now, the resort, estimated to cost about $800 million, was announced more than a year ago, obviously before the big economic downturn. The resort's going to sit on 21 acres. It's going to offer 350 hotel rooms as well as 480 timeshare villas in the two 15-story towers for DVC members, along with amenities such as a saltwater snorkel lagoon. Guests are going to be greeted by an open-air lobby designed to look like a Hawaiian canoe house, and other highlights include a waterway featuring tubes and body slides through rockwork and an iconic volcano, a wading pool, a spa, a saltwater snorkel lagoon. There's also going to be a kids' club, a wedding lawn, a convention center, and, of course, two restaurants. Disney's also expected to bring in about a 1,000 permanent jobs for cast members there, which is really important. And they say that their research shows Hawaii is really the top destination choice for its vacation club members, and it's confident that it's going to remain so 
when this project opens in 2011. I think I personally need to start planning for my next research trip now and thus expect that applications for my research assistant position are going to begin to increase dramatically as well. Finally this week, I'm all about exploring and introducing you to some of the overlooked experiences, not just in the parks, but around the entire resort. So I often hear from people that they've been to Walt Disney World, they've seen it all, and I, of course, smile knowing that there's often much more that many people don't even know exists, and now there's something else to add to that list. You may already know about the Richard Petty driving experience at the Walt Disney World Resort, but get ready to strap yourself in and prepare yourself for the new indie racing experience, the ultimate experience for race fans and car enthusiasts. And whether you are a race fan or you're just sort of looking for that ultimate thrill ride in Walt Disney World, you can both drive and ride in actual cars that were used in past Indy 500 events. So you can get sort of the ride of a lifetime in a customized two-seater Indy car or get behind the wheel of an Indy car and actually drive it around the Walt Disney World Speedway, which is located right near the Magic Kingdom parking lot. Now, this sounds really exciting because both passengers and drivers don real fire suits and they're strapped in by the Indy Racing pit crew that's there and they get ready for the real speed and the G-forces and the pressure that comes with being an IndyCar racer, offering a really unique and unforgettable experience. Now, if this is something that sounds interesting to you, note that drivers and or riders have to be 18 years of age or older. The Indy Racing Experience two-seat ride is priced at $109 plus tax for a three-lap experience, while the Indy Racing Experience driving program, which gives you the chance to learn what it's like to drive a real IndyCar, lets you follow a lead IndyCar series car around the one-mile oval for a total of eight laps. That experience consists of a warm-up lap, six laps at speed, and then one cool-down lap. And obviously, speeds are dependent upon each guest's individual comfort level in the car. The price for that eight-lap experience at the Speedway is $399 plus tax. For more information, including rates, hours of operation, corporate packages, anything else, call 888-357-5002, or you can log on to IndyRacingExperience.com. I am actually not a racing fan per se, but I have to admit, this is something that I think I just might have to try. And if you are looking for that oh-so-very-special present for your dad or husband, this one could be it. Um, And guys, you know, this could be the... Honey, you go to the shop, you go shopping into the spa, I'm going to drive a $600,000 race car about 100 miles an hour or so over at the Magic Kingdom parking lot. So in any event, I think this is something that uh, could be one of those very special experiences, either for you personally or something that you might want to give to somebody coming down to the resort uh, as one of those very special experiences. So... That's actually going to do it for this week's news. Obviously, if you have any news that you want to share, if you want to discuss any of these things, if you've participated in in the indie racing experience, please post over in the forums, send me an email, or call the voicemail at As December approaches, quite rapidly I might add, members of the online Disney community know that not only are the holidays near, 
meaning that it's time to hit the Disney store and buy gifts for family, friends, and of course yourself. But that Mouse Fest is right around the corner. And for some, visiting Walt Disney World during the first couple of weeks in December is a traditional event for the past couple of years, while to others, Mouse Fest is a bit of a foreign concept. Now, I've been going to Mouse Fest since 2004. It instantly became one of the highlights of the year for me for so many reasons. But even beyond just another, you know, excuse to eat in Walt Disney World, uh, it's something that I really look forward to. And on this week's show, I wanted to talk about the event and help you plan for it. And if you've never been there, what to expect, as well as let you know what events I'm going to be hosting this year. So joining me to discuss Mouse Fest from two very different perspectives Our first, Greg Grimsley. He goes by the nickname of Doc. He is a fellow Disney fanatic. He's a geek. He's a blogger over at DisneyObsession.blogspot.com who has found the cure for his uh, obsessive-compulsive Disney disorder through a support group consisting of tens of thousands of people in the online community who are just like him. So, Greg, let me first welcome you to the show. Thank you, Lou. Good to be here. Good to have you here as well. And also joining me is yet another Doc, and this time it's the man known as Doc Terminus, also known by, as his alter ego, as Glenn Whalen. He's from Passamaquoddy.blog.com. Say that three times fast. And Glenn, let me just say how sorry I am to hear that you lost the recent election um, in your little fishing village that exists both in your mind and online. And I'm sure the um, Yes We Clam slogan had nothing to do with your loss. <laughs> If there's some place I want to be and it's not Walt Disney World, it's going to be on this show right now. Oh, God. See, yes, this is why I love clam. having you on. <laughs> yes, we clam. <laughs> and if you've been to his blog, you'll understand why that is possibly remotely funny or, or really stupid. Anyway. Or maybe or maybe you won't understand it at all. <laughs> I still don't understand your blog, but I still go and read it because I enjoy it. So, <laughs> And definitely go and check out this week's post, which he, which uh, he posted earlier this morning. But anyway. I digress. So let's let's get back to the, to the topic at hand, um, and that's Mouse Fest. And let's talk about what it is and maybe what it's not, what goes on during the week's events, um, what listeners maybe who have never been there can expect, some of the meets, as well as what, some of the ones I'm going to be hosting. And I, I think the easiest way to start is, is trying to answer the question that, believe it or not, I get a lot, and you guys might too, is, you know, what is Mouse Fest? What exactly is Mouse Fest? And uh, I'll give you a, a somewhat paraphrased version of what's on the MouseFest site. And it's really an unofficial, and it's not something that's run by or endorsed by Disney, but it's a gathering of Disney fans from around the online community. And in fact, really from around the world who get together, uh, usually in the first or second week of December, in Walt Disney World. And these meets have been going on for years, um, starting way back when from the old news group and bulletin board days, although MouseFest sort of technically officially started um, back in 2003. It began as way back as 1996, and kids, there's a uh, thing called the Usenet News Group, and there was RADP, which is the Rec Arts Disney Parks News Group. Now it's grown by leaps and bounds, and it includes not just a land portion in Walt Disney World, but a sea portion as well. And I know when it first started in 2003, there was just a couple of hundred people who had gathered now it has grown into the thousands, um, thanks to the efforts of the founders, who are Deb Wills and uh, Dave Marks. Uh, I was actually supposed to go in 2003. I got snowed in. Um, I got snowed in. I was desperate to go. I had my tickets. I took my little SUV through the, the snowy tundra of New Jersey, made it to the airport, and as I got there, they canceled my flight. So, uh, oh. so I was there in spirit, but 
in uh, spirit. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, you know, like I said, I, you know, I kind of go way back, relatively speaking, as far as Mouse Fest goes. When did you guys first hear about Mouse Fest and what it was, and and what were your thoughts when you first heard about this gathering of somewhat relative strangers in Walt Disney World? Well, I uh, I've heard of it loud about it last year. It was. Um, you know, just started blogging and then saw other bloggers talking about going to Mouse Fest and they had gotten their little, you know, their kits and everything. And I thought, oh, this is something I wish I could do, but I just didn't have any vacation time left. So I swore at that point that uh, this year came along and I was going to be there. And it's been problematic, but it's going to happen. You know, so uh, that, I learned about it last year for the first time and I thought, got to be it, got to do that. And is that when you sort of jumped into the, the blogging fray online? Well, I mean, I did that just a few months. My blog started back in September, but that was about the time MouseFest started uh, popping up around the blogosphere. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just started uh, really reading more blogs at that point and seeing people talking about it and then people, uh, you know, doing their mobile blogging from the event and reading some of the other sites. And it was, uh, I thought, well, you know, this is, uh, it's a bunch of like-minded people that, uh, in, you know, share what you what you enjoy. So it was, um, like I said, it became a quest for me at that point to do uh, to do Mouse Fest this year. And just a quick uh, question for those that may be curious: that that accent is that also from New Jersey? Uh, no, it's uh, it's it's uh, southern uh, southern Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's Middle Tennessee, you know, great and growing Middle Tennessee. <laughs> Glenn, what about you? When did you first hear about Mouse Fest? Actually, several years ago. I uh, I always went to Disney that same week because, like any good Disney enthusiast knows, that's one of the quietest times of the year. So it's one of the times you can get into the hotels, uh, the resorts easiest. And I was in the park noticing all these people running around with lanyards one year and decided once I would actually look at and read one. So actually, it all came to fruition because I heard it, you know, I've read about it on blogs, etc. But I never was interested in going until I saw the group all together. And that was actually two years ago. So I decided, well, next year I'm going to try this. So I, uh, I dove in and, uh, and the rest is history. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard about it very early on, too, when I, jumped, when I first sort of got online and sort of um, getting into the online forums and the community and sort of sort of kind of finding my way around um, at that point and when I heard exactly what it was what it was um, like you said Greg this is something I knew I had to go to because the opportunity to go down meet other like you said like-minded people for a week of events and meets and tours both in and out of the parks um, getting a chance to meet some of these people that you've read about or heard about or maybe an author whose books that you have, Face to face, really, really was something that that appealed to me a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'll be having my copy of your book with me so you can autograph it when I come down there. Oh, please, you're on already. You don't need to flatter yeah. me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but although you really should buy an extra one to keep, one Still, to I'm read, one to my keep. Notes. I'm looking at my notes. What time did you want me to say my comment about your book? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you can cut that part out. <laughs> You have 14 seconds before your plug comes in. All right, so let's um, <laughs> let's talk before we get into what the events are and, and what exactly goes on during that week because we're sort of talking about it in generalities. Once you you heard about it and decided that you wanted to go, let's talk about what your expectations are. Now, Greg, this is your first time going, and and as somebody mm-hmm. who has never actually been there before, what do you think some of your expectations are for the week? Well, my expectation really is just to meet more people. Um, 
when I started doing this, you know, you get comments on a blog or something, and you start making friendships, like you know, our friendship with Glenn and uh, with some other people. And so my expectation is just to go down there and meet people that I read about, uh, read their stuff, or I listen to them on other podcasts, and uh, and just get to be friends because yeah, I think a lot of us somewhat are isolated in our love of Disney uh, because people just don't understand it. And so this is just a chance to meet a whole lot of people that understand it and who get it. And so that's my expectation is just to go down and uh, I'm bringing my nephew with me. So I told him, say, go and do the rides whenever you want to because I plan on standing around and talking and getting to, uh, to build relationships with people. Absolutely. And you're gonna, you made a point that uh, I think we're going to touch on later on. We talk about tips that Mouse Fest, I think, is not really about getting down there specifically to ride rides and get as many attractions in as possible, at least not, I know, for me, um, as opposed to the opportunity to meet people and, and do a lot of these special events. Now, Glenn, were yours the same? And after your first Mouse Fest, did you find that they were met? Were they exceeded? Did they maybe fall short of what you, were, what you thought Mouse Fest would be? Well, my expectation was actually I approached it with a bit of trepidation uh, because I didn't have the foresight that Greg... Uh, just spoke about because I actually thought Mouse Fest was going to be more of a group gathering where everybody went in clumps to do all these things and and go on rides and it was something I didn't think I was going to enjoy as much because I was I was actually imagining it was going to be focused on rides uh, focus on attractions but what it ended up becoming which is what I'm so grateful for, and it's changed my whole opinion of of uh, the Disney fan community. Is it's got me in touch with some some serious friendships now. We got some great friendships out of that, and that's what now quickly that is what this has become. This has become I can't wait to see my friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think you made a good point too. Is that now that there have been so many mouse fests beforehand, and the community continues to grow. People who have not gone before have an opportunity to read trip reports, um, read blogs, you know, see photos, get a better idea of what it might be. Because I know that when I, and I'll talk about the first year that I was going, the first year of the sort of official Mouse Fest, um, you know, the idea of flying down to Florida to meet people who I had never met before, maybe had seen, you know, funny screen names online like Mickey Babe and Disney Dame and Crazy Hakeem, going down there to meet them, you know, and talk about Disney, it it honestly struck me as a little odd. I'm like, what am I getting, you know, myself into? Um, and are these the people I'm going to want to hang out with, you know, and eat with and do whatnot for a week? But not only was I not disappointed, but I was very, very surprised. Um, I had such a good time. And like you said, Glenn, it was about the friendships that I made. Um, and, and I think everybody can agree that everybody at MouseFest, whether it's the authors, webmasters, podcasters, bloggers, people in the community, is so friendly. Um, and we're all sort of down there for that same reason. And that's to, to make those, those new friendships and, and sort of reinforce the ones maybe that you may have made online. Exactly. You know, I, I was I had concerns that I was going to go down and meet all these freaky people, and it turns out I'm the freakiest person there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing that I had had realized when I got down there, and um, and again maybe it's even more apparent now, was how many different communities there were, how many different forums and and whatnot. Now, though, with so many, not only communities, but websites and podcasts and videocasts and blogs and everything else like that, the community has grown really kind of exponentially since 2003. And I think that's actually a good thing because not only does it give everybody a chance 
to have a voice, uh, but it really helps you find those things, those people that you sort of relate to best. And Mousefest is a great way to meet these people firsthand and sort of get introduced to a lot of those communities that you might not, not even know exist. So now, Greg, you, like me, um, you actually chose to do something daring, stupid, whatever you might call it, which is <laughs> you are hosting a meet. Your very first time at Mousefest. You've never been there. You relatively really have no idea what to expect. But, you know, it's kind of maybe, do you think it's a daunting task? Is it, um, is it maybe less so since you have somebody co-hosting it with you? Tell us about the, your decision to host to meet your first time, what it is, and, and really why you wanted to host one of your own. Okay, well, I can certainly enlighten that. Yeah, it's called the Unofficial Rocking Chair Meet, and it came up because Ryan uh, Wilson, who's over at Main Street Gazette, he and I uh, you know, met up through the blogs and things, and uh, we're down there in April and also down there uh, you know, for the opening of um, the Food and Wine Festival. And just through you know, our conversations and our growing friendship, we got to thinking about people that we miss or uh you know not only just disney friends but family and uh and and just thinking well you know we're growing old together some people you know are not around anymore to grow old with and so uh the, the concept of just sitting on a front porch in a rocking chair came up in our discussions and we just thought well you know let's try to plug it in our regular trip plans and it uh didn't happen in april it didn't happen in september because we were just so busy doing other things and we thought well let us just put something together where we take a break we just go over exposition hall and just grab a rocking chair and just sit down and take it easy and just celebrate our friendship and and uh and just and think about people who uh who we miss who can't be with us for mouse fest because of some reason or uh you know and not to get too personal but just you know family and friends that have gone before us and so that's what this thing came about and it just happens that uh it's you know an hour before mickey's very merry christmas party so we thought well let's just uh encourage people who are going to be there for that uh, or on their way out of the park just to stop by and uh, just kick up their heels for a little bit, take a rest before they go off to something else and just celebrate the friendships that we make. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing specific about what we're doing. We're just going to sit there and rock back and forth and make new memories. And that's about the extent of that meet. And, and when exactly is it? What's the date and time? Uh, it's going to be uh, Thursday, December the 11th at 6 p.m right there at the uh, uh, exposition hall there on town square see I, and i really like that event uh, not because i'm fat and lazy and just want to sit down and rock for an hour <laughs> but i really think that that meet uh, for me and glenn maybe you can uh, agree or disagree is what mouse fest is all about uh, it's not necessarily rushing to ride rides and there are ride meets where groups get together and ride rides but being able to just sit and chat in a very sort of relaxed environment, meet new friends or catch up with old friends. Uh, mm -hmm. Believe it or not, there's Mousefest is going at such a fast pace. There's so much going on because it's grown so much. Sometimes we don't get a chance to stop and do that. Um, yeah. So I like that. I like that idea a lot. Right. Well, you know, and we've had you know, there's some people that we all three know mutually that aren't going to be able to be there, and it's uh, and it's a disappointment for me because I, there are people I wanted to meet that can't be there this year, and so this is a way to maybe know them vicariously through people who do know them, and so it's just uh, like I said, it's a matter of just getting together and and just sharing our memories, but making new ones at the same time. And we'll talk a little bit later on about some of our tips and stuff, but I think this is a good point to make people understand a couple things, which is, one, the event, like 99% of the events during Mousefest, are free. You don't need to pay anything to attend, obviously. And two, 
You don't need to be a reader of your blog. You don't need to RSVP. You don't need to do anything in order to go. You can just show up. And right. and look, if you find that it's not for you and you want to leave, um, Greg won't won't be too disappointed. But you know, <laughs> but that's the beauty of Mousefest is that you can come and go as your schedule permits or what you see that you like or maybe you don't like because you can sort of sample all, all the different events. So right. uh, yours is a, is a great um, a great example of that. Um, before- One of the things that's interesting about that, Lou, is that uh, the Mousefest schedule is jam-packed with things. Uh, but you'll find that through the course of the several days that there's also a thousand things that are happening that are not on a, a written schedule. So there's always things like what Greg has put together. Um, there's always things like that happening. And it's also a way for you to meet and get involved with other things as well. Exactly. And you're leading me right where I was going to go, which is talking about what the schedule is like um, so people actually understand. Mousefest is going to take place this year on land from December 11th through December 15th. Now, unlike the earlier RADP events, since Mousefest started, there's actually been a cruise portion. The cruise portion is a Disney cruise, obviously, that goes from Sunday, December 7th through Wednesday, December 10th. Um, I assume none, neither of you guys are doing the cruise this year? I'm not. No, okay. I'm not either. Uh, I think they usually get anywhere from maybe 140 to 180. It varies. I don't know exactly what the number is. Mousefest cruisers that do the sea portion and then the land portion, really sort of a way to get things kicked off for Mousefest. There's a lot of events, special things that go on on the ship. Um, I've, I've actually not done it. Uh, it's a lot for me to try and, you know, do the cruise and then get off and then start doing all the land events as well. But the land things really get officially, quote-unquote, kicked off on Thursday, December 11th. And the way it goes is there's an official park of the day, and you'll find all this on mousefest.org. I'll link to it from this week's show notes. Thursday, the 11th, is the Magic Kingdom Day. Um, There's a couple events we'll talk about that I recommend you go to, like Mousefest 101 and the kickoff party. There's also an optional Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party that a lot of people go to that night. Friday is a split day between Disney's Animal Kingdom and Disney's Hollywood Studios. Saturday is the Mega Mouse Meet. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail, as well as Epcot in the afternoon and evening. Sunday the 14th is the Magic Kingdom, again, with an optional Very Merry Christmas Party that night. And Monday, uh, for whoever else is left over, is another split day between Disney's Hollywood Studios and Epcot. Um, And I think we should talk about the Mega Mouse Meet first, because that's sort of kind of the keystone to the entire event, um, which is really something amazing and unlike anything I, I had ever seen before. And that's really where over at, actually this year, it's over at Disney's Yacht and Beach Club. It used to be over at the Swan and Dolphin. In the convention center, uh, we have rented out ballroom space there. And it's an opportunity for people to come and meet your favorite authors, webmasters, podcasters, bloggers, uh companies from the area, companies online who have tables set up around the perimeter. There's all kinds of giveaways. There's games. There's lots of free swag at people's table, which is a lot of reasons why you, why, why you should really go. Uh, that's Saturday on the 13th. Uh, it opens at 10 a.m. this year. That's an extra Mousefest hour for those people who registered, pre-registered for Mousefest. So if you pre-register on the site, you can get in an hour earlier. If not, no worries. At 11 o'clock, it opens up to everybody. It's open till 1 o'clock, and then from 1 o'clock on, everybody moves over 
to Epcot for, for the Epcot events. And Glenn, having been to the Mega Mouse Meet before, kind of give me your take on it. Because I look at it, I'm from a different perspective because, uh, you know, I have a table. So I'm sort of on the opposite side. Well, it's sort of overwhelming, but it makes things practical for you because you walk in and, you, you you know, if you're familiar with 10 or 15 websites or groups that you know from Disney, suddenly you're walking walking around this large room that has got tables and tables and uh, authors and authors that you, you weren't aware of their materials and you end up buying books, etc. Um, there's a lot of events going on. There's a lot of... Um, prizes given out and people will hang around and wait for these these prize packs to be given out it's really exciting and it's much it's even if it's a three-hour event it seems to go by very very quickly i I definitely agree with that um and i know i i know i'm there very early in the morning setting up and getting a chance to walk around and see some people i haven't seen in a long time but once things get kicked off um it's a very high energy, almost sort of like a, a trade show atmosphere. And now there's people running around and they're recording for their podcast and they're videotaping and taping pictures. And, and it really is a lot of fun. And like you said, it's that single place that you can go to see the people you want to see and get introduced to people that you may not have known existed. Now, Greg, having never mm-hmm. been before, I assume you sort of look at it the same way. Well, I do. I do. In fact, uh, I was just thinking, I wonder if I can get all my books that I buy sent back to my resort since I'm staying on property. <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought you said you had my book already. What, what uh, well, I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to carry it around all day, you know. So, Why not? But, uh, but the, um, you know, one thing, when it comes to the Mega Mouse, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I think it's just, you know, how you're going to get everything concentrated just in one venue. And so it's, uh, you know, what you might miss because you're, you know, having conflicting meets or whatever. You're going to have a chance just to see everybody under one roof. And that's that's got to be a, a real benefit. I'm uh, I'm going to, you know, the, the I'm sort of vacillating on if I'm going to go to the extra magic hour there because I still kind of want to get my sore and fast pass. And so, uh, but I'm definitely going to be there for it. But that, that's actually the beauty of it being over at the Yacht and Beach Club and why um, we really tried to push to get it there is that we are so much closer to Epcot now. You can sort of bounce back and forth and get over there quickly and still do some of the attractions either before or after the Mega Mouse Meet because uh, mm-hmm. it's not just Mouse Fest isn't just about the events. It's also being able to do some of the things like eat and I guess ride an attraction too. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. We hadn't even talked about the food aspects, have we yet? Oh, yeah. you know what? I, I need to block out about two hours. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been having trouble with my ADRs and everything. Anyway, so well, that's you know that's actually become uh, with the popularity of Mouse Fest. That's become one of the things that's become more difficult is making the ADRs because usually the first couple weeks in December, very very slow time of the year. The Pop Warners there, the cheerleaders are there, but they don't really have a lot of an impact. But as Mouse Fest continues to grow, everybody is very web savvy. They're 180 day savvy. Uh, getting some of those ADRs last minute are, are somewhat tough. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't done it, don't worry. There are still opportunities for walk-ups, but for some of the more premier and, and hard-to-get restaurants, you may have a tough and time. And another thing that happens, and this is part of the wonder of Mouse Fest, everybody that gets reservations, even if we're going as an individual, we always get a reservation for four. Because uh, by 10 o'clock the first day, you're going to be able to fill up that reservation with three new friends you've met. <laughs> And so for anybody who's listening, and uh, if you have a LaSalle and you need an extra person, I'm the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Except for LaSalle It doesn't work with LaSalle Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard one to get. That's a tough ticket. That's a tough ticket right there. It is. 
But we'll Glenn, that, that is a perfect, perfect point is that, you know, and, and Mouse Fest is a great opportunity to go down solo, too. If you, if you maybe don't have a family that's interested in doing these kind of things, I went and for many years uh, went solo and the fear of, am I going to be sitting there in a corner eating by myself, much like Lou during high school, that's not going to happen because the opportunities are there to make the friends and to dine with friends. And you'll be surprised how many people say to you, hey, come on, you want to come join us for, for something to eat? Um, again, every place except La Cellier. So hang around Glenn and Greg, and I'm man, sure you'll get an invitation to dinner yeah. somewhere. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I'll just keep on having to keep that Disney number dialed. <laughs> so... Above and beyond the mega meet, um, obviously, throughout the other days, there are a number of meets. And as Mouse Fest grows, the number of meets um, have grown more and more and more. And I'm really hesitant, honestly, to recommend certain meets or suggest people go to certain, certainly not to not go to certain meets. Um, I don't want it to seem like, oh, I, you know, Lou likes this one over somebody else. It's right. very tough. It's very, very tough because there's so much to do. And if you want to try and do it all, you're not going to be able to. Um mm-hmm. I try and get to as much as I can to, to support other people in the community. But I think there are a couple of meets that I recommend everybody go to, whether it's your first time, Greg, or your fifth time, me. The first one is Thursday at 12 o'clock. That's Mouse Fest 101. This was held for the first time last year. This year, it's going to be moved over to Disney's Contemporary Resort in the Nutcracker Ballrooms. Yes, that's how big it was last year, how big it's grown this year. It's a great way to start meeting those people and it's sort of a primer for the week's events. Uh, start connecting with and seeing friends, making new friends. Uh, and for new people like Greg, it's a great way to get acclimated to exactly what's going on. They really help lay it out for you. Um, first day of the, really relatively the first day of the, of the weekend's events. And it's also one of the few times you're able to sit down for the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I sent my RSVP in today, so I will definitely be there for that. Excellent. And then right after that is the Mouse Fest 2008 kickoff reception. That's from 1 to 2 o'clock. That's where registered attendees, again, if you've registered on Mouse Fest before, you can go and sort of mix and meet and mingle, uh, not just other uh, people who are attending, but some of the community leaders and the authors and the webmasters. There's going to be some uh, complimentary refreshments, things like that. Don't forget to wear your mouse vest, lanyard, and badge in order to get in. Um, now, let me ask you this. Well, the two-part question. Number one, obviously, you need to prepare before you go to mouse fest. It's you, you like any Walt Disney World trip. You can't just go there and and kind of wing it. Um, I. I very, very much recommend people going to mousefest.org, going through the day-by-day schedule, starting to pick out some events uh, that you'd like to go to. What other kind of prep have you guys done now that we're about two, three weeks out? Craig? Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got the uh, the list right here in front of me, and so, but, you know, there's also events that are getting added that, you know, will not be part of the packet, and so I pretty much visit the site every day just to see, okay, is there something new that's been posted there? Uh, you know, and of course, people are talking it up on some podcasts, so, and then blogs are being talked about, so I just visit the site daily just to make sure I'm not missing something, uh, and I even read the, you know, all the stuff that has been printed for weeks, because uh, like just this morning, I thought, well, there's a meet i might be able to squeeze in and so uh you know it looks attractive so i'll just i just keep reading and reading and reading and then of course work out the grid and you know see what my time frame looks like 
Yeah, very similar with me. Uh, the the booklet came in the other day, and they once again they did a great job with the, that little booklet. It really uh, preps you for what you're what you're about to experience. One of the other things that, uh, again, there's things that are not going to be listed in there, and that's things that we've heard about just talking to friends online, etc. The other thing that goes on all the time, and, and I've always fallen prey to this, is that Disney is aware that there's a lot of Disney fans that are there. So they make a lot of things happen during that time period as well. So there's uh, common, constant pass holder events going on during that weekend. So quite often I'm trying to jump onto some of those things which also get in the way of other uh, scheduled events. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's really I think the toughest thing as MouseFest is growing. Like for the example this year as of the time that we're recording this there's was, there was about 925 people just pre-registered to go. That doesn't include all the people that are there that show up that just decided not to register for whatever reason. So it's much, much bigger than before, which means that there's a lot more meets to, to go to if you want to and to try and juggle, but it also gives you a, a much wider sort of selection um, as to what you want to do. But it also has made it a little bit tougher. Um, I know that some meets, my own included, that I've held in the past can't happen for a number of reasons, um, particularly due to size. So, for example, last year... Um, I did a, a sort of a walking live Disney scene investigation in the parks. Um, and we had about anywhere from 180 to 14,000 people there in some places. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you don't want to, you know, like you said, uh, Glenn, Disney's aware of what we're doing. And we certainly don't want to negatively impact or interfere with the experience of other guests who are trying right. to get through somewhere. So some of those larger things, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, can't happen. Um but speak of my meets, let me actually just uh, shamelessly plug here and, and talk about some of the things that I'm going to be hosting this oh, year. Oh, please do. <laughs> you don't have them highlighted in your pocket guide yet? I do. I do. I got it right here. <laughs> God, you can come on every week, just so you know. Hey, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I can shamelessly plug anybody for a cost. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Friday over at Disney's Hollywood Studios at 4 o'clock at Disney's at the at the Backlot Express, which is sort of in between Indiana Jones and Star Tours. I'm hosting Podfest again for the third, fourth time, third time, I think, <laughs> in a row, which is basically a, a gathering of all the Disney podcasters and their listeners. Um, it's just sort of a way to let the listeners know that they can find their favorite podcaster in one place. Also give the podcasters a chance to meet face to face. A lot of us know each other either via email or uh, telephone calls maybe, but haven't had a chance to meet and also gives people a chance to get introduced to a lot, a lot of new Disney podcasts. And, and honestly, I've gotten emails from people and even somebody asked me last year saying, Lou, why would you host a meet to promote another podcast? That just doesn't make any sense. And I think the answer is that something like this embodies what MouseFest is really all about, um, which is that we yeah. may be a bunch of different sites, but we're really one community. And I never felt that I was in competition with other shows. Um, I still don't feel that way. I always sort of analogize it to TV. Just because you watch one TV show, it doesn't mean you can't watch another. Just make sure you watch mine first. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great way to, you know, there's so many different styles and formats and, and, and personalities out there. Um, it's really a testament to the size and the power of the Disney community. So um, I encourage people to come and sort of get turned on and tune into some of the other shows that are out there. Yeah, and, and it's a great opportunity to find out about other ones. Maybe you're going to try something new and enjoy it. 
Mm-hmm. My my week is so busy, I can only really grab about two or three podcasts on a regular basis, and so you know that's I'm looking forward to learning more about other podcasts that are out there because I listen to each one for a certain thing, and so uh, you're right. I mean, it's a large community, and there's plenty of room for everybody. Wait, if you have if you still have time to listen to two or three shows, I I have to start making my shows much much longer. Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's drive time. I'm, you know, I live about half an hour outside of downtown Nashville, so you know I can do it on my drive time. My next show is going to be a history of food at Walt Disney World. That'll, that'll, that'll keep me going. <laughs> Unabridged. My MP3 player is only 30 gigs. <laughs> I knew I was asking for the right things for Christmas. I've asked for an 80 gig for Christmas. There you go. That'll be like a that's, show that's and a half. Three shows. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Good. So Saturday night. Um, is is really my favorite meet that I host. Um, it's cool. This year it's just called Lou's Saturday Night Illuminations Meet. It doesn't get more plain than that. That's at eight o'clock. We're gonna meet over in World Showcase in front of the Tory Gate, actually on the promenade side, not the water side, um, in Japan. It used to be called the the Disney World Trivia Family Reunion, but I, I changed it because I really want to make people aware that this is open to every Mousefest attendee. It's open to everybody. It's just a very casual gathering of people from the community, listeners to the show, um, people that come to the site or forum members, just to, again, like yours, Greg, to meet and relax and, and then obviously enjoy Illuminations. This year, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, before Illuminations get started, um, I came up with an idea for a new game, a, a fun new game that we can play. Yes, there'll be free prizes, Greg, so you can come. Um, where, <laughs> and I promise no trivia knowledge is required. I am not going to ask you, you know, obscure questions about, you know, what took place in the swamps in 1969. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun and a chance for sort of everybody to play um, no matter what. That's perfect, because uh, last year at the uh, at the people were arriving for this event like 45 minutes before and everyone you know you just look for a seat because it becomes pretty much greg what you were talking about with your meat it became an area where we could slow down and we could all sit and just talk and get to know each other better so mm-hmm. it, it it's a perfect perfect uh, location for it it's a and then after we know everybody you get to watch illuminations yes yeah. and that's great and what i love about this meat too is that for the past couple of years, it's not like Illumination is over, everybody sort of scatters. We've just found found ourselves hanging out um, on the promenade for as long or as short a time as we wanted, sometimes for a couple of hours. You know, the burn-off comes and goes, and then as cast members start sort of slowly shooing us out. Um, <laughs> that's been some of the nicest time, because it's just like you guys said, it's that downtime where you can talk and not feel like, oh my God, I have to run because I have to go make this other meet, which is across the park or in another park. Uh, mm-hmm. There's nowhere else to go really. After well, I shouldn't say that because I think there's actually something going on on the boardwalk at Jelly Rolls afterwards. So, um, but it's that it's that just kind of relaxing time together. Right, and I mean in the World Showcase, I mean at night is just a magical place. I love just taking time just to walk it whenever everybody leaves. I used to watch you know Illuminations from the front of the park. Now I watch it as far back in the park as I can get, just so that everybody can leave and you can just leisurely take your way out of there. It's just it's great. Yeah, and, and two things that, that I wanted to point out as I was saying that too, which was, like my events, don't let the name of the event or the community name, don't let it fool you. Because in 99% of the cases, most of the meets are for everybody. And it's their, it's this community's way of inviting you in to get to know them or the host a little bit better. So, you know, if you don't know what Rad P is, I mean, they're still here. They 
go to one of their meets. Um, if you've never been to to my site or you've never been to, to Greg's or, or any, go to some of those meets. Um, it's a great way to expand the friendships that you have already. And the other thing too was I need to point out that not all the meets are inside the theme parks. Um, there's a number of meets. There's a Yeehaw Bob meet over at Port Orleans. There's meets at Wilderness Lodge. Fort Wilderness, the Polynesian, Jelly Rolls um, on the boardwalk, which is great, especially if maybe you don't have an annual pass or a length of stay pass. You don't want to use a park ticket one day. Maybe you want to spend a day at the pool or, well, too cold, wherever you want to spend the day. (laughs) And then do, uh, you know, maybe tour the resorts one day. There's a lot of stuff that takes place outside the parks as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about maybe some of our tips. Um, and, And Glenn, especially since you've been there before, maybe... Greg, things that you've picked up um, as you've been sort of doing your research and your, your, your due, due diligence. And the first thing is, forgive me for being so corny and so blatant, there's there's so much going on. Just remember to have fun. Mouse Fest is such a fun event. There is so much to do. Um, keep it in perspective. Don't look at it as, you know, a job. I've got to get to, from this meet to this meet to this meet and, and whatever. And I'm not going to have time to eat and by God, please make time to eat because that's really the most important thing. Um, mm-hmm. But make sure you enjoy yourself. You enjoy the entire experience. What but, I would recommend, first thing, is if you see somebody with a lanyard, go up and talk to them. Find out about them because, like I said, I've very quickly made at least 30 friends who I'm in, 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 I talk to at least once a month. Very true. And everybody's name is on their lanyard. Um, so you may get a couple of, you know, my eyes are up here comments, but look at their lanyard and say, hey, excuse me, what, what is a Passamaquoddy? And there you go. Now you've got a, now you've got a reason <laughs> to how, talk. And how can I get one? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Believe me, you don't want one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've had my shots. I'm good. But uh, well, my thing is, it's, you know, I'm looking over this and having been the one who's never been there before, which is don't be overwhelmed by the schedule. Uh, for me, it's important to to leave time. In fact, looking over my schedule here, my Sunday is uh, doesn't have a whole lot on it because you know there's just there wasn't things that I just felt that I needed to do. But at the same time, there's this mindset that you know walking from point A to point B, you're going to meet 15, 20 people that you may want to talk to, and be sure to leave time for that. Yeah, that's a good tip, Greg. Because one of the things that does happen is I've I mean I personally had things on my schedule that I really wanted to do and something happens or you get invited to go do something and suddenly you're thinking you know I'm not going to be able to make that thing that was so important to me earlier uh, mm-hmm. because I'm going to this other thing because now I'm interested in that so it's great to have a uh, have a game plan but don't be scared to to let it to shake it up a little bit right right I mean there's plenty of times to get back down there and ride and everything like that to me it's just you know, it's all about making the friends yes yeah and you know what? Thank God you said Sunday because I completely forgot us. I, I got so excited to talk about talking about Saturday night. <laughs> I forgot to talk about my third meet, um, mm-hmm. which is on Sunday. It's from 1 to 2 o'clock. It's at the Magic Kingdom at the Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station. And it's really the one that, that started for me, the very first meet I ever hosted, which is Trivia Fest. And it's just a very fun, interactive, everybody can come and play game show style trivia contest where now is when you kind of need to bring your a game over there grimsley and test your knowledge <laughs> against other other um, other fans and other other guests for a chance to win some valuable and possibly not so valuable prizes including including an apple ipod oh boy oh there you go 
I've just pulled the book off the shelf. I'm glancing <laughs> through it right now. <laughs> Got to study because there's a lot Gotta of people go for that, and they are and they are prepared. Oh, I know. I heard. Well, there was you know Lou had a show about it earlier on with somebody who won and how they won. And I thought, good gosh, you know, this is way out of my league. You know, <laughs> and no cheating because you will be tased. So <laughs> I have people in the audience. That's my job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, and you know, too, remember whether it's. You know, a person that you're walking up to, just an attendee, or whether it is, you know, the webmaster or the author that, that God, I've just been reading their books and I love them. So everybody is so approachable. Don't be hesitant yep. about going up to anybody, uh, whether you know them, whether their name is familiar or not. You'd be surprised at how friendly and how welcoming everybody is to, towards meeting new people. And he said, that's important to me because, I mean, I know I don't come off this way sometimes, but, you know, you can ask Mrs. Doc about this. I'm a pretty shy person in real life. And so, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard for me to go up and approach people that I don't know. And so it's going to be a challenge for me. You know, I mean, I know you guys, and uh, but, you know, everything has to start somewhere. And so it is it's it is a thing, you know, take yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit also and get out there and meet new people because, man, great friendships start from just simply saying hello. And it's uh, I'm, I'm talking to myself about that, too, because it's just not natural for me to do that a lot of times right and because we're talking to uh, all these people right now there will be people coming up to you as well so there's not so much pressure for you to have to do it someone will come up to you as well right Mm -hmm. and you talked about you made a really great point you talked about um, your comfort level and that's the thing too this is a very it's a big step going from the (laughs) relative anonymity of, of talking and chatting online to meeting people face-to-face. So you share as much or as little information about you as you like. If you want people to know you as Doc Terminus, well, then that's how people will know you. You never need to reveal what your real name is or what part of Tennessee you're from just because the Titans are 10-0. Um, you can do whatever's are most we? comfortable. Wow. We'll be 11-0 by the time they hear this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go blue. Go blue. <laughs> but that can work for you too, Lou. I mean, you know, hey, you're, you know, the Giants are blue, right? That's right. See you in January. Um, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, definitely, obviously, go to mousefest.org. Go through the site. See uh, the different events that are scheduled. Also look and see at who's attending, who's registered. Their names are up there. Say, oh, hey, you know, I know this guy from such and such a forum. I know I'm going to know at least one person. That's not true. You now know at least three because you know you could always come up to me, Doc or Doc, um, anytime. Also, download the, the pocket guide when that's up there as well. You'll get a chance to look at it. If you haven't gotten it in the mail, if you haven't registered, you can look at it beforehand. Um, is there anything, and, and maybe just sort of synopsizing your, your overall feelings about it, is there anything really that you're most looking forward to, whether it's overall or a specific event or, or something like that? How about Glenn and then Greg? I'm going to say the thing I'm looking forward to most is that uh, magic in a bottle that the whole event gave to me because uh, I went in with all these preconceived notions and came out with it on this this uh, 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 on a complete high based on just all these friendships and uh, um, built an environment of uh, fun that everybody was was is all there for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I mean, I'm looking here at things. I mean, there's some things I'm going to be doing this year that I've not done. Like, I've never been to the Christmas party. I'm not seeing the Osborne lights. And so I'm looking forward to those things. But, you know, we started by talking about what are our expectations. And my expectation and what I'm really looking forward to the most is the what's unexpected. 
because it's all the little surprises that are going to come out of this thing that uh, that really are, are the richness of the memory. Because when you go as often as, you know, I only go two or three times a year. Glenn, you live there, and you know, and Lou, you you there every every other week. So, you know, uh, you know, going down there and and you know, riding things like I said is is great fun. But it's the unexpected things that I look for now. Yep. So that's that's my expectation is is to be surprised by something that happens that that will be my fondest memory coming out of this thing. Absolutely, and and for me, it is so far beyond the riding rides. If if I ride anything during Mouse Fest, it might just be part of maybe a group ride meet. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it really is about meeting people. You know, I want to meet everybody. I, I want to meet people that I've that I've never met before, who whether they're listeners or they just happen to be walking by the table. I of course look forward to seeing friends that I've known through the online right. community that I've maybe never met before, or the people that like you guys that I have met that this is one of the few occasions during the year that we get to see each other down in the parks. Um, and, and just the, the other thing I want to point out too is don't forget too about the other non mouse fest stuff going on. Um, you are going down there during a great time of year. So don't forget to take advantage of things like the holiday decorations and right. how beautifully the resorts are decorated. The food, of course, uh, Mickey's very merry Christmas party, the Epcot storytellers. Um, it, it's just, it really is the most wonderful time of the year, and forgive that that corny reference there, but <laughs> with the holidays and the, the weather is awesome, the low crowds, Mouse Fest, so many great people that are, like you said, like-minded. We all kind of are cut from the same mold. Uh, right. It's really, really a good time. And if you can't come this year, if it's just not in your plans, start thinking about next year or the year after. In 2009, it's going to be around the same time. The cruise is from the 6th to the 10th. The land portion is from the 10th to the 14th. The Mega Mouse Meet will be on December 12th. In 2010, if you're thinking out that far, the cruise is from December 5th through the 9th. The land is uh, from 9th to the 13th. Try saying that three times fast. With Mega Mouse Meet on December 11th. That is always also up at mousefest.org. You can go visit there anytime. Um, Guys, thank you so much for coming on um, for this not-so-abbreviated sort of look at MouseFest. Certainly we can't cover everything and every event and every aspect of it you really do need to go in order to experience it and really appreciate it and of course i'm really really looking forward to seeing you guys there and in the interim please go and visit both of these guys blogs they offer two very different takes on disney greg's (laughs) is disneyobsession.blogspot.com please join in the fun and mullet-based festivities over at passamaquati.blog.com I'll put both of those in the show notes and Greg Grimsley and Glenn Whalen uh, guys thanks so so much I really really look forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks see you in 17 days man take care see you This week, I wanted to take you exploring to one of my favorite places in Walt Disney World for what would have been kind of an an out-of-the-park and out-of-the-ordinary DSI Disney scene investigation. But since I, nor you, or anybody for that matter, isn't allowed here anymore, we're going to first have to take sort of a trip back in time aboard the Wayback Machine. And this week, we're going to explore Disney's first animal park. It was a place where more than 100 species of animals and 200 species, 250 species of plants once thrived in a place where guests 
could journey off sort of the beaten paths of the theme parks and across Bay Lake to Discovery Island. And joining me this week is a friend and fellow Disney geek, Ryan Wilson, from one of my favorite Disney blogs, the Main Street Gazette, which is now at its new home at MainStreetGazette.com. That's MainStGazette.com. I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. But first, Ryan, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. It's a pleasure to be here, Lou. It's great having you. And before we get started, why don't you tell people a little bit about you, since you really, you're not really a, a latecomer to Disney fandom cause, and geekdom, I guess, because you've been going for years and, and kind of started out as a local, right? Yeah, I grew up um, in the Tampa area right outside of, you know, Orlando. So I had it in my I had Disney World in my backyard for about the first 20 years of my life. Uh, we were there every weekend at Fort Wilderness. So it's always kind of been in my blood. Um, my mom likes to blame it on my dad saying, you know, I would miss birthday parties because he convinced me to go to Disney World. <laughs> um, so the site really, the Main Street Gazette started because my wife basically told me I couldn't keep telling her all this. I had to find someplace else to put it. Right. You needed some sort of an outlet for, for the yes. geekdom because just doing it at the kitchen table. Listen, you're preaching to the choir. I feel your pain. So. <laughs> <laughs> After the while, the family gets tired of hearing about, did you know that, yeah, Lou, we, we know. Ryan, you know what? Go go talk to somebody else. So. You told us that last week for the 10th <laughs> time. Please don't tell us that story again. <laughs> so, yeah, and people are already mad at you and jealous of you because, you, you like you said, you had Disney World in your bar- backyard. But now, you know, you, you've, you've moved away. So you're like the rest of us and have to kind of get down there when you can on your now. And now they're research trips, which is even better. Yes, now they're research trips, and thankfully I still have family in the area, so it's always like, oh no, we're just going to go visit some relatives, and <laughs> it's a side trip, it's fine, it's, it's going to be okay. And you haven't seen those relatives in years, I'm sure. So. No, yeah, it's been, it's been many, many years. No, they probably moved, and I don't even know it yet. Exactly, so. exactly. So, um, I think we're really going to have some fun with this segment, um, because we're not only sort of fellow Disney geeks, but if I may say so, and I mean this as a compliment your, your blog posts are somewhat like these segments relatively long but usually filled with some good content and i think it's going to keep it interesting and uh discovery island is one of these uh sort of unfamiliar places to a lot of people because it wasn't around for relatively long and like i said it was very much off the beaten path yeah it was really hard to get to it was obscure and you know if, unless you actually made the effort to go find it you you weren't going to stumble on it that's for sure yeah, I think it's almost become more talked about and more popular years after it's closed than it might, it might have been when it was actually open. But let's kind of go back and, and way, way back, uh, really way pre-Walt Disney World, because Lake Buena Vista, which didn't really exist, but this section of Orlando was just swamp. And, and it was a, a lot of swamp, but in the middle of this sort of big murky mucky area was this large island which uh, according to story according to legend was really what solidified the location for walt disney's new secret theme park project on the east coast yeah i mean it had such a it had such a storied history you know it was a uh, hunting lot you know a hunting retreat for some people um but apparently yeah they saw that island in the middle of bay lake and they're like yeah that's it that's where we're gonna go yeah, it, the, the story goes, and again, you know, we, we take it as true, was that Walt was actually flying over land he was interested in purchasing um, to locate, obviously, his new Florida project. Uh, the story goes that it was on November 22nd, 1963, that he literally looks out the window 
sees this 11 and a half acre island in the center of what we now know as Bay Lake and says, yeah, this is it. This is the spot. It's perfect. It's all, you know, location, location, location. It was the intersection of I-4 and whatever sort of other highways sort of cross the swamps. Um, I mentioned November 22nd, 1963 specifically, because supposedly it was at the same time that Jennifer, uh, President John F. Kennedy had been shot. So, um, again, uh, assuming that's true, it just sort of adds a little bit uh, more right. to, the, to the story and a legend. Yeah, it says that you know, he was flying over the island. He said, that's it. And then they landed, and that's when they found out about Kennedy. Exactly. So, yeah. And, uh, it, again, the, the beginning of this island doesn't sort of start with Walt Disney's purchase of it. Um, it actually goes back to the early 1900s. It was known as Raz Island, which was named after the family that lived there. In the late 30s, it was purchased for $800 by a, a guy named Delmar Nicholson. He was also known as Radio Nick, supposedly like one of the first you know, radio DJs. He renamed it Idle Bay Isle for 20 years. He lived there with a wife and a crane. And I don't mean like a mechanical crane. I mean like a pet crane. But it was later purchased, renamed Riles Island. And like you said, Ryan, it was used as a hunting retreat before Disney bought it, obviously, under one of their many pseudonyms that they used to purchase land. Yeah, it was like it was, I believe, in like 1965 that they purchased it. And they originally were going to call it Blackbeard Island. And it remained undeveloped for a number of years under the auspice of Blackbeard Island, just sitting out there waiting for whatever they were going to actually put on the island. Yeah, very early on, the initial concept was going to be, this is going to be a pirate theme you know, to the island. Uh, so, uh, a sort of very radical thing to do, which was theme the entire island after pirates. It was going to be called Blackbeard's Island. When it opened, the name was going to be Treasure Island, although they, they did sort of have some references to Blackbeard Island. Um, they actually renamed, if you look in the Seven Seas Lagoon, there's three islands in there. There actually is an island there called um, called Blackbeard's Island, and then you won't see it necessarily on all the maps. But uh, right. it was obviously going to—they were going to draw many of the the themes and elements from the old uh, Disney film from back in the '50s of the same name. Yeah, I can remember that pirate thing going around, you know, Seven Seas Lagoon in um, Bay Lake when I was a kid. I can remember doing the pirate cruises where you would go on the boats, the pontoon boats, for you know a couple of hours, let your parents go out to dinner. And they would drive you through and they'd tell you about crocodiles on the, you know, huge crocodiles and, you know, pirate skeletons. And th- it definitely was out there for a long time. Yeah. And it was something, like I said, very, very radically different. I mean, remember, you know, Walt Disney up until this point had only built Disneyland. He had built the Magic Kingdom here. This was going to be something completely different, a, 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 a total diversion from the theme park and show and ride experiences. This was a place to be that you can go explore and, dare I say, relax, uh, explore all these different pirate ships. And I actually have a copy of an old Treasure Island map, which I think is from maybe 71, 72. And there were places on there called the Jolly Roger Wharf, Captain Flint's Perch, Buccaneer Cove, Lookout Point, Mutineer Falls, Skeleton Lair, Buccaneer's Roost, Black Dog Swamp, uh, let's see, Scavenger Beach, and the uh, the ship that they had sort of shipwrecked on the island was called the Walrus, on sort of like the backside of the island, on the complete opposite end of the dock. I mean, remember, the island is 11 and a half acres. I mean, they had to move, you know, tons and tons of dirt to sort of create this island, and it was a big place. I mean, this was this was a true half day experience, quote unquote, park. Yeah, absolutely. I know some of the things I've read is that they were going to have Ben Gunn's fort and Ben Bow's inn. Uh, and the original ship was actually supposed to be the Hispaniola from Treasure Island. 
uh, and they apparently scaled that down and we got the walrus in the end. But it was, it was supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be able to take a half a day and explore the island. You know, you could have plenty of trails, plenty of boardwalks. You could hike. You could picnic. Um, just take time to really relax. They really thought it would extend the, a family vacation by at least half a day, if not a full day, in, into the parks in the early 70s. Yeah, and I think the, the, it, it had a good concept because it was a place for more of the adults to kind of go and sit and relax. Kind of imagine Tom Sawyer Island where you can go sit down, let your kids roam and explore because they can't really go anywhere, either in the water or back on the boat, uh, back to the Transportation and Ticket Center or to the Magic Kingdom or to one of the resorts. So you could sit there, you could relax, kind of just get off your feet for a while, and your kids can go and explore all these pirate things. Like you said, the, the theme of, of Ben Gunn was very, very prevalent um, on the island. And actually, the, the map says, look closely, mateys, as you visit Treasure Island today. For the memories still linger here of Long John Silver and Jim Hawkins, of Black Dog and Israel Hands, of Dr. Livesey and Captain Flint, and the voice of old Ben Gunn still haunts these woods and paths, still laughing, mocking. Listen closely, for in Ben Gunn's words may be the clue to where the treasure hides to this day. So, like everything else, Ryan, it, it had a very intricate and detailed backstory associated right from day one. It really did, and it's amazing that, you know, with all the ideas that they had, that we really only got that, you know, scaled-down shipwreck, uh, and it turned more into an explorer's area, which I think was kind of the uh, reason for the name change from the Treasure Island to the Discovery Island. Exactly, and it actually, unfortunately, didn't last very long, because in 1974, Disney had the idea to start adding a variety of tropical bird and sort of change the focus uh, of the island and sort of kind of taking the pirate theme and really putting it to a side. They were going to bring in 600 different birds, and what they ended up doing was expanding the size of the island to about, like I said, 11 and a half acres. They brought in a ton of different flowers and trees from around the world. They created all different kinds of man-made bodies of water, really changing the shape and the topography of the island. And instead of being sort of a a rundown, desolate, scrubby-looking swamp area, uh, it was much more lush, much more tropical in theme. Yeah, they took out all the scrub. You know, like you said, they brought in all the plants. And I I read somewhere that they had brought in somewhere around like... um, Oh, how many tons and tons of boulders, about 500 tons of boulders, just to help them, you know, redesign the landscape so that it fit what they wanted to see. Right. They had uh, 50,000 cubic yards of soil, 500,000 tons of boulders brought into the island. And remember, you can't just drive a truck onto the island, too. I mean, they yeah. had to sort of, you know, ship this across Bay Lake to do this. So this was no small undertaking by any stretch. No. And, and it really is amazing that with all the resources they had to put into building up this island and all the thought into these pirate themes that none of that really got developed beyond that uh, that initial idea and the initial stories that came out. Exactly, exactly. So it goes from this, you know, cool sort of exploration of, of pirate place into, and not that there's anything wrong with it, this kind of very calm, tranquil bird sanctuary. Um, and I think, you know, unless kids are sort of into that, it takes a little bit of that, that fun explorer element away for kids um and there were some still some remnants that you can find that the ship was still um docked on the other side um the, the island now became sponsored by friskies um 
the cat food people, which I thought was just kind of <laughs> a sort of an yeah. odd choice as sponsor. Um, Especially with all the birds on the island. I don't know what they were actually <laughs> exactly. saying with that. <laughs> like, here's your dinner. I don't know. Um, and in order to get to the island, you actually needed a, a separate ticket. Remember, they used to use the A through E ticket books, um, but you can get this sort of special adventure ticket to visit the island. And obviously, you could only access the island from by boat. You could take it from either the contemporary or the Polynesian. Uh, you could also take something that they had back then called the Walt Disney World Cruise. Right, and that was the boat tour all around the Seven Seas Lagoon. Um, yeah, and I and I wish they still had kind of kind of things like that. Um, if once you started to get into the hopper passes and things like that, this was included. And remember, the passports you used to have the the magic passports and the, the annual passes, uh, or you could actually just get a ticket just to get to, to Discovery Island, and it was like twelve, thirteen bucks, where you can do a combo ticket with River Country. Again, going back into the past for about 20 bucks. And you do a half-day River Country, half-day Discovery Island, I think that's $20 well spent. Yeah, easily, easily. And as the time went on, you know, it became, you know, the, the Treasure Island was this add-on ticket. It was like, oh, you know, it's like the free fast passes you get now for PhilharMagic or Carousel of Progress. It was, you know, make sure you go try this out just to get the capacity in. Exactly, exactly. And... One of the things that that was curious from the very beginning, and if you look at some of the old maps, and I actually have copies of um, some of the very, very early Treasure Island maps, was they had looked to expand the island right off the bat before they started going with this tropical bird paradise. They really had, had plans to expand this um, pirate theme and this sort of exploration theme, more of this Treasure Island uh, inspired kind of thing. They were going to have Billy Bones' Dilemma which says Captain Flint's first mate falls prey to the perils of the open sea. The Blockhouse, the site of a battle for treasure map. Spyglass Hill, which was a, a group of rocks right in the middle of island, which is going to be a, um, a playground for kids. Ben Gunn's Cave, we talked about again. The Wreck of the Hispaniola. And because I have no memories of going to Treasure Island, I'm really bummed because this is something that even as, a, as an adult, I think I would love, love to have seen. And obviously now, Ryan, with the, with the success of the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, just imagine how well this could potentially do now with that same kind of theme. Yeah, you can, it, it's one of those chances to you know, put the binoculars away and you know, pull out your sword and pull out your imagination <laughs> and just be a kid and be that pirate, especially with the way they're re-theming some of the Caribbean beach uh, resort rooms now to the pirate. It's, it's clearly a theme that has, uh, you know, legs and can go. And especially with the island out there, just not doing anything right now. Even now, this would be a great idea to see happen. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the rumor changes and maybe some of the things that we might want to see happen to Discovery Island. Uh, but the island was actually very successful, relatively successful, I should say, for a number of years. And they did something really cool in 1977 when the Rescuers movie was being released. Uh, in conjunction with General Electric, they had this Rescuers Diamond Sweepstakes. And in something I've never seen kind of done on this scale before, uh, they had this opportunity for one family not just to win a trip to Disney World, but to search for and dig for a diamond on Treasure Island worth 25 Gs. I don't know if anybody ever won that, but I but I do have the promotional posters and stuff like that. And you want to talk about a really cool kind of prize to win, an opportunity, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen the posters too, and it's one of those things, I, I've never heard of anybody winning it. I've never been able to find anything where anybody actually dug and found it, so there's no telling where they actually hid that diamond. But maybe it's still out there on the deserted island somewhere. Yeah, but, but it is. It's that pirate theme all over again. It's just, you know, the digging for buried treasure. 
and it just brought it, it you know they brought it back up and it, they never seem to get beyond these first ideas for it yeah and, and kids before you start thinking about swimming across bay lake to try and look for the diamond i'm sure that somebody went and picked it out before <laughs> they decided to abandon the island but so now it's 1978 just a few years after the island opens they completely abandon the pirate theme altogether and they also rename it and it has what its sort of current name is which is discovery island and it really sort of takes that tropical paradise theme and kicks it up a few notches because now they want to take advantage of the wildlife and the vegetation and the plant life like things that they've brought in and some of the the natural inhabitants and really give people a chance to explore and learn while they're there as well this was like the first animal real animal uh park that disney had you know they had wanted to do it with the jungle cruise and they went with the animatronics and on Discovery Island, you end up with you know, the brush turkeys, the Galapagos tortoises, the alligators, the bald eagles, the, um, the monkeys. You get all these kind of things that you don't see every day. Uh, and the kids had a chance to, you know, like I said earlier, put the sword away, pull out the binoculars and explore. And you could still picnic. And it was just a really, really inclusive and habitative environment for all these different kinds of animals. Exactly. And while they still wanted to give people a chance just to go and wander and relax. They build one of the world's largest walkthrough aviaries, uh, again, bringing in a real wide variety of exotic birds from flamingos to toucans, kookaburros, trumpeter swans, cranes, bald eagles, pelicans, hornbills, and other things too, like alligators and tortoises. Tortoise-i? Tortoise. They bring in a lot of tortoises. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Ring-tailed lemurs, golden lion tamarins, and... It, it, like you said, it's, you know, we talk about Animal King and being not a zoo. Well, this, this was pretty darn close to being uh, its own little zoo island. It, it was, and it had, you know, and it had like the shows you would expect from a zoo. You had the, you know, the Cuckoo Cabana show, the Jose Carioca Flyers, uh, and, and all these little bird shows that you expect at a normal zoo that you see, you know, anywhere in the country. Yeah, and in addition to those and the bird demonstrations, again, something else that I wish I could have taken part in which was they had a scavenger hunt. They had this 20-question scavenger hunt with clues, and you'd be able to follow these clues and signs throughout the islands. And then if you got all of them right, you got to a, a Jiminy Cricket environmentality Earth Day button, which would be a collectible. If anybody has, I'd love to see a picture of that. But Yeah, me too. Again, the, the landscape changed a lot more water in the island, and forget about the old cool-sounding names like Black Dog Bridge, because now you had... Tortoise Beach and Flamingo Lagoon and Pelican Bay and the Wildlife Walkway. Uh, Let's see. The Reptile Encounters, Alligator Swamp, the African Aviary, the Fishing Cat, Swan Neck Falls. So, again, this was really uh, a zoo, but much like Disney's done from day one. And always, you know, what we know is a great lover of animals. We know the efforts that Animal Kingdom goes under right now. But conservation efforts on the island were very, very important. They were actually recognized in 1981. It was made an accredited accredited zoological park by the American Association of Zoological Parks and Aquarium, much like Animal Kingdom had been accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So from the very beginning, Disney has always sort of met and exceeded the standards in conservation and in education and research, things like that. Yeah, they really wanted to make sure that these animals were taken care of and that 
you know, because there were going to be environmental groups that were angry with, you know, any zoo you see anywhere. And so they wanted to show we are making the effort. We do, you know, care about the animals that we're presenting to you. And it does. It goes back to days, you know, Walt's days with the true life adventures and all of that stuff. And um, so they were just trying to take that, take, take that one step further. Right. But unfortunately, you know, like, like any good story, any good Disney movie or attraction, things go horribly wrong. And unfortunately, they go horribly wrong in, in a literal and a bad sense, uh, because there were some charges that were brought against the island's director and some employees for the mishandling of some birds and some vultures and destruction of nests and things like that. Uh, Disney said they were trying to relocate the birds and there were just some un- unfortunate results. The case was settled, but unfortunately, it brought a lot of attention to, hey, you know, what really is going on here? Let's make sure that everything is is up to snuff. And not long thereafter, Disney announces plans for Disney's Animal Kingdom. And Ryan, that kind of sounded the death knell for the island, which had become much more unpopular than it was when it originally opened. Yeah, it had kind of, you know, there were, there were elements that had become an eyesore with, with Treasure Island because they had put up like magnet, magnetic tape and strobe lights and anything they could to keep the vultures and hawks and falcons that were really picking off and injuring animals on the island. Uh, and they had to find a new, a new way to get these animals and keep them safe. But at the same time, you know, not not hurting other animals that were not part of the system. And so Animal Kingdom looked like the way to do that. But it did. It seemed like that that put a timeline on Treasure Island as to when the doors would close. Yeah. And then once Animal Kingdom opened in 98, uh, you know, you, the handwriting was on the wall. And actually 25 years to the day it closed on April 8th, 1999. And nothing really happened on the island. I mean, certainly was not accessible to guests uh, you can see the island, the dock, it was still there, whatnot. And there were rumors for years and years and years about some of the things that were to become of the abandoned island. And obviously, once the Internet took off, you know, so did, so did the rumor mill. There were many talks of a tie-in to a game called Myst, which was a very, very popular uh, sort of a, a role-playing video game. Uh, that was abandoned. Years later, um, even a few years ago, rumors surfaced again about the island possibly being sort of leveled and raised and turned into a very exclusive private retreat for honeymooners with obviously a lot of cash. And, you know, they would build sort of these little cabanas and cabins and things like that and make that sort of a a honeymoon retreat. I'd always heard about the honeymoon retreat and I'd always thought of it as kind of like the treehouse villas that you had um, down over near downtown Disney. I kind of thought that would be a a great place because you can see the contemporary, you can see beyond it to Tomorrowland. It would be a nice view for... Your honeymoon, of course, transportation would be, you know, <laughs> one problem to figure out how to get there and back. And, you know, on your honeymoon, I'm sure the boat driver doesn't want to see, you you know, canoodling with your wife or <laughs> husband. But yeah, I mean, I mean, think, too, of the infrastructure that you would have to build in order to have those kind of accommodations on there, um, because you couldn't just make it, you know, like a treehouse kind of thing. You would have to, you know, bring on uh, so much more than that was probably there. And. Unfortunately, over the years, I mean, it really has been abandoned and it has suffered severe, severe damage from the hurricanes. It's very, very much overgrown. Uh, It's got this uh, abandoned look. Uh, I know people who've been on the island. I've seen actually some videotape of some survey videos that were done on the island. And like River Country, it's abandoned and it's dilapidated. And it's been so much overtaken, not just by the vegetation, but by the wildlife that there would be so much that would have to be done 
in order to make this island usable or inhabitable by humans that you wonder you got to sort of strike a financial balance uh, as to what might actually happen there yeah it really had to go back to almost the beginning when they you know raised everything you know they just they cleared out all the everything they'd have to redo that again and same thing kind of with river country and that's really an area of Walt Disney World that has seen some dilapidation with you know, River Country and right across the, the way is uh, Treasure Island and it, it does, it sticks out kind of like an eyesore if you're driving by on those little speedboats, you know, you wonder what was there and what is going in there and it's just it just sits there and I, I've seen some pictures of, of both River Country and, and Treasure Island and they just, they just look, it's sad to remember what it used to look like and what it's become now. Yeah, this was um, my dad loved this place. He, he loved going to see all the macaws and the toucans and the birds and things like that and and like the fact that it was sort of getting a a bit of an education probably because he was taking us out of school to to go down to disney (laughs) he was a good father listen that's okay um and again you know rumors came back even in the past year or two um you know that the mist idea has come and gone uh maybe it was just sort of fan enthusiasm hoping for a Lost-themed island, you know, the ABC show Lost, right. or a Pirates of the Caribbean-themed island. You know, with the franchise, like I said, being so successful, there were rumors about making it sort of a, an island of Tortuga. But I think just for, for all the reasons that we said, Ryan, I just don't know if that can happen feasibly and, and financially at this point. No, I don't know that we'll see anything there anytime soon, that's for sure. Um but it is, you know, you had the adventure theme with Mist, with Lost. It seems like they, you know, they had this area designated and everyone thinks, well, it's kind of off in the distance. It's kind of away from everything. It, it suits an adventure. And what kind of adventure experience can you bring to that island? Exactly. Exactly. And I think the potential is there. And that's actually the, the question I'm going to pose to you, the listener, which is, what would you like to see? What type of experience would you like to see? Let's just, let's assume that we can get past the, the, the monetary issues and, and the infrastructure issues. And obviously, any of the wildlife inhabitants would be carefully and properly relocated to some other place. I mean, Walt Disney World has a lot of under, undeveloped property that I'm sure they could be moved to. What would you like to see there? And, and Ryan, I'll actually pose the question to you. I'll put you on the spot and, and ask you, you know, okay, you, you're CEO for the day. You have relatively unlimited funds. What do you think would, would you like to see and would be um, sort of have a, a mass market appeal there? Mass market appeal. I, you know, I've always wanted to see, because like I said earlier, I grew up in Fort Wilderness. That's, that was my home away from home when I lived in Florida. Uh, and there was always that Western village, you know, that whole back here was going to be the Western village. And across the way, you were going to have this, you know, this pirate island. And I, it would just, it would just suit that, you know, the whole adventure of, of Fort Wilderness and Treasure Island. I'd love to see a, a Pirates of the Caribbean experience going on there. Uh, Maybe a Tortuga, maybe a little bit of, um, you know, Davy Jones Locker. You, you go underground a little bit. You can explore. Um, I was in Disneyland last year. Saw some of the things they did with, you know, the Pirates and Tom Sawyer's Island. Some of that would be great for kids to just explore and get out there and have that have that chance to be a pirate for a day and, you know, not be confined to just one little land of Magic Kingdom. You can get into the, you know, it's it's all there. You there's no borders except for the water. Right. And I and I agree with you. I think expanding on that original Treasure Island theme, what they could do now, that the type of experiences they could offer uh, would be spectacular for, for kids, adults, boys and girls. But OK, Mr. CEO, I've given you unlimited funds, but you got to pay for it. Now, as you, the guest, 
how do you how do you position this or how do you picture this is this an experience that you could just go to for 10 minutes or stay for a couple of hours is this an, an add-on hard ticket experience that okay you buy a ticket and you can go from four o'clock in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night and only x amount of people can go and if so how much you know what's that sweet spot what's the price point that you're willing to pay for it that's a good question you know and that's one of those questions that you've seen with the hard tickets recently you know what are you getting for your dollar you know prices go up and you're not getting as much of, of the experience as you used to, or it's you know the hours are, are shorter. Um, I really think it would have to be. You definitely couldn't do it for just ten minutes. You know, it'd have to be something that had, that had a time appeal to it that you want to invest time to get on a boat and travel out there. So it would have to be. It would definitely have to be a, a separate ticket, maybe an add-on like the water parks and more. Uh, considering you don't have the clubs at Pleasure Island right now. I could see that as a great option way to, to put it on there. It's, it's a water park and more option. You can go out to the island, uh, explore for half a day, and then go and take some fireworks into the Magic Kingdom. All right, so I'm thinking out loud, hypothetically, you've got this this new treasure island that only a limited number of guests can go to, so it's not overcrowded and you're not just standing there like sardines. Only X amount of, of people. I don't even know what the number would be. And you can go much like a not-so-scary Halloween party or a Christmas party or a pirate and princess party. It can start from 5 o'clock and last until 11 o'clock. So let's say it's a six, seven-hour experience, and boats go back and forth throughout the night. And, and your experience really starts the second you step on the dock. You know, your captain immerses you in that experience, and you are on a pirate ship, and you're being, you know, left off on an island or, or you know, whatever it might be, whatever the story might be. If the pirate and princess party and not-so-scary Halloween party that lasts from, say, 7 to 11 or 7 to 12 is 50 some odd dollars per person. Uh, this is obviously going to be taken to a whole nother level. It's a whole nother world to explore, not just getting able to, to ride attractions and see parades and fireworks. What are you willing to pay? Would you pay $100 per person? You know, I think it would, ha- it would have to depend on what was involved with it. Because you're looking at, uh, it is a limited number, but at the same time, a park admission for even just a one day, one park is you know $75 right now. So, I don't know that you can push it beyond really what they'd be willing to pay for a park because you're not going to, while you're getting a different experience, you're not getting as much of a park to explore. So it's one of those thin lines, maybe somewhere in the middle, maybe like a $65 you know, dollar range, somewhere around there. Right. And, and I, and I kind of bring it up too because there's been talk about Night Kingdom, which as we understand um, has been shelved for the time being, mm-hmm. and other experiences in Orlando, which are all these add-on experiences, which run $200 and up. Um, I've never done them. I understand they're wonderful, but that's kind of what this would be. This would be that sort of add-on experience, and you've got almost 12 acres of property to explore. Obviously, there could be food. There could be all different kind of things that are going on. Really, really make this something incredibly, incredibly special. Not something you do every time you go, but you talk about a a premium add-on experience, and obviously, you want to make it Believe me, people, I, I want to make this as, as accessible to as many people as possible, but I'm just thinking out loud, logically, what it would take to make something like that really happen. Yeah, because you do, you got to find the people who are willing to invest the time and the money. It's not an everyday experience. So, you know, you got to make sure you have the entertainment there that they're going to, you know, that, that makes it worth their while. And it's just, it, it, it is a matter of, you know, the making it accessible to everyone. It's like, what is it in Jurassic Park? They say they'll have a coupon day. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of mentality. Where where is that border? Where is that line that you know? Okay, people will pay this for, it, so we should, we can charge them this for it. Right. 
Just imagine, though, how cool. I mean, look at how people get dressed up for the pirate and princess party and how people, adults who go without kids, get dressed up as, as pirates and, and pirate maidens for the not-so-scary Halloween party. You could now do that all year round here. And you want to talk about totally getting into it. Um, I think that could be something pretty spectacular. But again, I, I want to hear other people's thoughts, uh, other people's suggestion. Maybe some people would rather have the honeymoon villas. Maybe they would have a different theme. Maybe they're sort of tired of the pirate theme. Do they want something more like, you know, Western River Expedition or something like that? Or they want to see an attraction, something like that built there. You've got relatively unlimited funds. You know, let us know your thoughts. I'll start a thread over in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I'll link to it from this week's show notes. Uh, again, I invite you, if you if you like or if you dare, you know, to kind of go out on some of the watercraft on Bay Lake. You can uh, rent them from the Contemporary and sort of drive by. Do not, I, I totally am encouraging, do not try and get access to the island. Bad things will happen to you if you do. Uh, so I very much discourage you for trying. Uh, but you can see some of the overgrowth and some of the remnants of some of the things that were there um, for whatever reason. But um, again, Ryan from the Main Street Gazette, one of my favorite blogs. I really appreciate you coming on and and taking this uh, detailed look back at the history of this now sort of overlooked, um, but a place with a lot of potential, I think. It definitely is. It's in that corner that kind of gets forgotten, but there's so much you can do there. And it's, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. And also put a link up to uh, to an article that I'd written as well. Put some pictures up of some of the old maps. Again, you can also go and visit Ryan's blog. I definitely invite you to go check it out. I'll link to it. It's the Main Street Gazette. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Thank you much. It's time to announce the winner of, or I should say winners, of last week's trivia contest. Thank you all so much for playing. Again, you guys must either really like playing or really wanted a copy of Lee Cockrell's book, which even if you didn't win, I highly recommend you get called Creating Magic, as well as a copy of the audio guide to Main Street USA on CD. Now, as you recall, the question was, in what World Showcase pavilions can you find Miyuki, Sergio, a pickle tree, and Lefsa. And the answers, which most of you got right, is Japan. Miyuki is the candy artist. Italy, Sergio is the comedic juggler. Germany is where you'll find the pickle tree. And Norway is where you're going to find a Lefsa, which, you know, of course, I couldn't go without throwing a food item or two in there, even though one of them was on a tree. So, and if you followed along with my Twitter updates, when I was in Walt Disney World, you played the Where in the World is Lou game you actually would have seen a photo of the Lefsa that I was eating, of course, for research purposes only. But anyway, this week's winners, all five of them are John Justice from Texas. And I have to say, John, you've got the coolest name ever because it just sounds like you're a superhero. Brian Patterson, Betsy Tabor, Joanne Johnston, and Tammy George. So those are our five winners. Again, each of those winners gets a copy of Lee Cockrell's book, Creating Magic, as well as an audio guide to Main Street USA. Please, all of you, send me your addresses via email, lou at wdwradio.com. I'll get your prizes out to you right away. Now, for those of you that did not win, thanks so much for playing. Uh, it seems that a lot of you really enjoy these contests so much. So what I want to do, especially since I'm just in that thankful and happy spirit, I'm going to do it again. 
Let's have another contest this week. Uh, and let's see, as far as a question, you know what? Instead of staying in one park, let's do something a little bit different. We're going to go with a theme this week instead of a location. And the theme is going to be celebrities in Walt Disney World. And instead of a four-part question, we'll knock it down to a three-part question, give you time to sort of digest your Thanksgiving turkey. So three questions. You need to get all three right in order to be put into the pool where I'll draw a random winner from all the correct entries. So here are your three questions for this week's trivia contest. First, let's go way back, since we had a way back machine this week, and ask... What talk show host could be found in the former Superstar Television attraction over at Disney's MGM Studios? Remember Superstar Television? Guests could kind of be put into different scenes from different TV shows. Who was the host of the talk show that was featured? And I will help you out and say it's not Jimmy Kimmel or Arsenio Hall. So next question. In Ellen's Energy Adventure, who plays, what actor portrays Ellen's college friend, Judy, better known to you and me as Stupid Judy. What actor plays Stupid Judy in Ellen's Energy Adventure? And third and finally, Jason Alexander, who was George Costanza in TV's Seinfeld, can be heard in what Walt Disney World attraction? What attraction? If you want to give me who he plays, that's fine. Just give me the attraction where you can hear Jason Alexander the lovely George Costanda from TV Seinfeld. So there's your three questions. What talk show host could be found in the former superstar television attraction over at the studios? In Ellen's Energy Adventure, who plays Ellen's college friend, Stupid Judy? And where in the world can you hear Jason Alexander? You'll have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, November 29th to email your answers to me at lou at wdwradio.com. We'll have just one winner this week, but the winner is going to win both audio guides to Walt Disney World and a 2009 Walt Disney World page-a-day calendar. Good luck, and most of all, have fun. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Special thanks to Glenn Whalen, Greg Grimsley, and Ryan Wilson for joining me this week, as well as everybody who called in with a voicemail, emailed the show, and played in this week's contest. If you have a question that you want read on the air, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. I promise to get to your emails very, very soon. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the new toll-free voicemail line at 888 703 2171. I love when you call in with feedback, comments, suggestions, anything that you've heard on the show, or just want to call me from the parks and rub it in that you're eating there and I'm not. Speaking of thanks, this week is Thanksgiving, and I believe that we should all take some time, give thanks, hopefully have an opportunity to spend some quality time with family and friends. I am obviously thankful as well. Thankful, first, that I'm really able to share my love of Disney with all of you each week and thankful for all the support that you continue to give me on the show. So I wanted to somehow say thanks to you, and I thought I'd come up with a special offer for you for this week. So starting this week, for a limited time, I'm going to give you three things to say thanks. First, I'm going to reduce the price of my 2009 Walt Disney World page-a-day calendar to just $7. 
and that's a savings of $3 off each calendar. Second, I'm going to give everybody an additional 10% off everything in the DisneyWorldTrivia.com store. That includes my books, CDs, obviously the calendar also as well. Go in before you check out. Use the coupon code WDWRADIO. That'll give you the 10% off. And third and finally, I'm also going to give everybody a free lanyard and badge holder with every order. So you get to save $3 off the calendar, 10% off your entire order, whether you order the calendar or not, and a free lanyard and badge holder with every order. Obviously, go to DisneyWorldTrivia.com, click on the shop link to order your products there. Uh, Thanks again to everybody for the great feedback you continue to give me and Tim Foster about the first issue of Celebrations Magazine. We're so happy to hear that you enjoy it. Work is well underway on issue two, but if you want to get a copy of issue one, you can go to celebrationspress.com. There you can also subscribe to the magazine as well. And don't forget that much like the show, we want the magazine to be interactive. So if you want to send in a letter to the editor, if you want a photo that you want to share, a suggestion for an article, or maybe even something that you'd like to write, send an email to me at lou at wdwradio.com. Thanks also, as always, to all of my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all of your vacation needs. All-Star Vacation Homes, who still has an exclusive discount for listeners where you can get a free rental car and a $50 gas card. And Owner's Locker, where they still have their exclusive offer, still giving you $50 off the sign-up fee. You can get information about all those as well as links in this week's show notes at wdwradio.com. If you're coming down to MouseFest, if you're planning on coming to any of my meets, please come by the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There you're going to see links to each of the meets and an informal list of who's attending. No obligation at all, just hoping to kind of get an idea of maybe how many of you might be coming. Hope to see you there, even if you stop by just to say hello. I mentioned last week that in anticipation of show number 100, we're going to celebrate by asking for your help with the Dream Team Project, which is our fundraising efforts to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. 100 seems to be the magic number, so what we want to do is reach 100% of our current goal by show 100. Donations are collected through a secure page over at firstgiving.com, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. To date, we have about $41,000. Our current goal is at $45,000, so we're really close. I'm sure we can do it by show number 100. Anything that you can do, anything that you can spare, even if it's just a dollar, is going to go a long way where it's helping a terminally or chronically ill child and their families' dreams come true of hopefully being able to visit Walt Disney World. And again, thanks for any help that you can provide during this fundraising effort. Uh, finally, to comment on the show, talk about it with other listeners, visit the WDW Radio forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And as always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Come by, review the show on iTunes. Come say hello over on Facebook. Join the Facebook groups. Or follow my instant updates on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash Links to all these are in the show notes. And of course, my friends, in this season of giving and saying thanks, I mean it now more than ever. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen and for all your support each and every week. I hope you, your friends, and your family have a wonderful, safe, and happy Thanksgiving this week. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. Uh, thanks for the show. Thanks for putting so much time into it. Just finished listening to show number 93, and I was glad to hear that um, uh, you had gone with the uh, fundraiser for show number 100 for the Dream Team Project. Uh, just one thought there. Uh, I know that uh, you're kind of a short guy, but sometimes you got to reach higher, right? 
And uh, I think $45,000 uh, for the goal is just way too low, especially uh, since you've already raised somewhere, in the, you said somewhere in the $41,000 range. I think we can do better than $4,000. So if you play this, uh, I'd say let's uh, let's take it 50, right? I mean, that's only $9,000. I don't know how many listeners you have, but it seems like that's a reachable number. Um, so, so say 100% of 50, 50 grand, right? All right, thanks. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is John Christian from East Northport calling to say uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast and your audio guides, but I was really impressed with Celebrations Magazine. I just got it two days ago, and I finished reading it cover to cover, and it exceeded my expectations. Not that I had low expectations, but it really was quite a pleasant surprise. Keep up the good work. See you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou. Uh, my name's Jason. I live in uh, here in Florida. I heard a question uh, that you guys had a little not sure of answer on ticket upgrading. Basically, any uh, Magic Your Way ticket can be upgraded from 14 days after the original use of the ticket. So it doesn't matter whether the ticket is two years old, one year old, or just bought. If it's just been used within 14 days, it can be upgraded. Upgrades do have... um, limitations though if you have used a the ticket price must go up and then if you have used things like park hopping you can't take those off so if you went to two parks their first day one park second day one park third day you cannot get rid of the park hopping option even if the ticket price goes up but if you have just gone to one park each day say you had a three-day one park ticket you could upgrade that to a five-day park hopper. Uh, You could just upgrade it to a five-day. Another question that we get quite a bit is if I have a 10-day ticket, one park, can I um, go ahead and go use two of my days the same day to go to two different parks? No, you cannot, which I'm sure most of the listeners already know that. But since I do get that question quite a bit, I thought I'd go ahead and do that. and you cannot upgrade past 10 days, including the days you have used. Um, so if you have a nine-day ticket and you want to upgrade that, if you want to add days to it, you can only upgrade one more day to make it a 10-day ticket. If you upgrade, say, a nine-day ticket to a 10-day ticket to and want to do non-expiration, you have to pay for all 10 days. Um, that is the only upgrade that changes per day. I believe it goes from a two-day being somewhere around, I, I want to say 50 or $60, to a 10-day being $200, and varies on how many days you purchase from there. So just keep in mind, you always have to make it go up. So if you haven't used days, or you haven't used your park hopper, you could change your park hopper to a water park fun and more if you think that would work better for you. And that would work as well. Or if you haven't used your water park fun and more and you want to switch that to a park hopper, you can do that. So it can't be upgraded. It either has to be the same value ticket or a more valuable ticket and you have to pay for on expiration every single day whether you've used it or not. Hope that uh, helped.
clear it up that might have made it more confusing. If it did make it more confusing, I apologize. Have a wonderful day. I love listening to the show. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is uh, Ted Knapp calling from Fairport, New York. I uh, just heard your show about the top ten sounds, and I couldn't agree with you more with the wolf howl from the Honda Mansion and the monorail doors closing. I had a couple more. Um, one of them was the idling engines from the Tomorrowland Speedway. That kind of gets me, lets me know I'm in the park. And the other one is the, the horns from the ferry boats across over the uh, – Seven Seas, Seven Seas Lagoon as they dock at the TTC and in the Magic Kingdom. That kind of sets the tone that lets me know I'm in the parks as well. Uh, have, have a great show, and uh, talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Brian in Mason, Michigan. I was listening to your show number 92. Just had a quick uh, answer for you guys. You and Becky are talking about adding on the exp- or no expiration to a ticket. Um, when I was working at the Disney stores, we were able to, well, we weren't, but the uh, ticket booths down at the parks were able to add on a no expiration for the unused days. However, like you were saying, if it's a 10-day ticket that is purchased and they've only got two or three days left, they're still going to pay no expiration as if it's a 10-day ticket. So it can be added on. So. Just wanted to let you know about that, and have a great day. I enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you soon, I hope. Bye-bye. And what's your name? Nicholas.